they put him in a hole. His brothers literally got so mad at him. They dug a hole and they stuck him in it. Now listen, if you have a brother or a sister, do not dig a hole and stick them in it. Please, no matter what he's done, no matter what she has done, do not dig a hole and put your brother or your sister in it and then turn around and tell your parent that Chapel Roswell said you could do it. I'm just telling you a story to learn from, not repeat. Trust me, I understand how frustrating it is to have a brother. I have one. And I remember one day growing up, he made me so mad because he took my very favorite doll. It was a Miss Piggy doll. And head first, he flushed it down the toilet over and over and over again. And by about the fifth time, she was so stuck, we couldn't get it out. And my, my parents had to call a plumber. And do you know that Miss Piggy's hair never really recovered from that day? <laughs> I was so mad. I really was ready to put him in the hole that I had dug in our backyard to prove to our parents we did in fact need a pool. Again, this is a story to learn from and not repeat. Welcome to season three, episode two. We are talking about stories from the Bible that we haven't read in a long time. We're reading these self-contained stories that maybe you've never read or Maybe you forgot all the details too. And this week, this story is, or the episode is, the one about the guy in a pit. So, we have our scriptural family in front of us. And it's a family that includes 12 brothers and one dad. And this father has a favored son of the 12. Now, normally in families where there's siblings, usually a child is going to ask a parent, who do you love the best? Who's your favorite? And the parent usually is gonna say something like, you know, I'm not gonna answer that. I love you all the same. And you know, if you ask a grandparent, a grandparent's gonna say each one of them is his or her favorite. That's how that works. But in this family, no one had to ask that question because everybody already knew the answer. Everybody knew the dad's favorite son because the dad actually made that son a long coat with long sleeves. And the son wore the coat all the time. That's usually the part of the Joseph story that we know, Joseph and the coat of many colors. Joseph really did wear this coat all the time. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And then, just to make matters worse, Joseph would have all of these very vivid and detailed dreams. And Joseph knew what the dreams meant. He could interpret dreams. And so, one morning, he woke up, and instead of keeping his dream to himself, he couldn't help it. He had to tell his brothers what he dreamt about. And he said, 
Look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are bowing down to me. Oh, and by the way, brothers, let me tell you what this dream means. The sun and the moon, mom and dad, and the 11 stars are my 11 brothers. And so my mom and my dad and my 11 brothers, one day you will bow down to the ground to me and I will rule over your lives forever. So, hope you have a great day and I'll see you at work in the field. And it was right about that time when Joseph went into the field and did not see where his brothers were. Brothers could see Joseph. And that's the point in time when they decided to throw Joseph in the pit. And that actually was a compromise. They wanted to do a few other things, but the compromise was just throwing him in the pit. This is such a story of drama. There is so much conflict in this story. There are so many different dynamics in this story. So many inter interesting characters. This stuff in Genesis would make a great reality show on Bravo. And the drama, it's just not even with Joseph. It actually is with his whole family. If you back up a little bit, you'll remember who Joseph's grandfather is. Joseph's grandfather is a man named Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son. And from the Holy Humor series, you remember, it means to laugh. And so Joseph's grandfather was Isaac, and we all know there was drama around that birth and the first few years of his life. And then Joseph's dad was Jacob. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And whenever Isaac was on his deathbed, there was one blessing to be given, and it was supposed to go to Esau. But instead, Jacob took all this hair and he dressed up like his brother and he went in and he stole the birthright and the blessing from his dad. Such drama. If you want to read about all of that, you need to start right about Genesis 27. I'll get you into it. The actual Joseph cycle is right around Genesis 37 to 45, and it is a great story. And you really should read it in its entirety. It might take you about 50 to 20 minutes. I can't read it to you because I would sound like a truck backing up with all of the beeps that the production crew had to put in. It's a really great story, so go back and read it. But for now, I will give you kind of a cliff note, chap flicks version of the Joseph cycle. So here we are. Joseph is in a pit. His brothers then decide to sell him to a group of people who are traveling by. Joseph ends up in Egypt living with a family and he does really well. The family gets mad at him. The family puts Joseph in prison. And while in prison, Joseph begins to interpret different dreams. Some are good and some are bad. And some people like him and some people don't. 
years later, while Joseph is still in prison, the Pharaoh of Egypt has a dream. And he says, who among you can tell me what my dream means? And no one can. And one of the ex-prisoners says, I remember, I know someone who can. So they go into prison and they get Joseph, who scripture says is a very good looking, charming guy. And they clean him up. They shave his beard, they give him new garments, and they put him before the king. They put him before the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh tells him the dream and Joseph begins to interpret it. And he says, this is what your dream means. You right now are experiencing seven years of plenty. There's plenty of food in your land to serve and feed all people. These are the years of plenty. But after these seven years, you will also experience seven years of famine, severe famine. And Joseph says, this dream is sent to you, Pharaoh, as a warning so that you may prepare for the famine. And Joseph says, you need to pick a man you trust. Put them in charge of the land so that during these seven years of plenty, that person stores up grain in the houses and stores up food so that during the years of famine, the same man can distribute the food to those who need it. People will come from all over the world and buy the grain and buy the food from you, Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, that is a great idea. Joseph, I pick you. Joseph becomes the governor. So from the pit to prison, he's now governor. And for the seven years of famine, all the world come to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine became severe. Guess who had to come and buy food from Joseph? Yeah. Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground, just like the dream had said. And although Joseph had recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Eventually, Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard it and the whole court of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. But very quickly, before they could even respond, Joseph says, I am your brother whom you sold. And do not be angry because I was sent to preserve life and keep alive for you many, many survivors. And then Joseph picked up the entire family and brought them closer to him so that those years of famine he could provide. And in some ways, I guess, kind of, the family lived happily ever after. That's your Joseph story. That's the quick chaplix version 
of the Joseph cycle. And so now I wonder, I wonder, what did you hear in this story? What scripture resonated with you? What part of it stuck out? Maybe where do you find yourself in the story? Are you feeling like a brother? Are you feeling like you're in the pit? Are you feeling like the dad? What part of the story are you feeling like you can be in? Right now, if you are listening to this kind of as a podcast or while you work out or while you're running, you can hit pause. If you're on demand, you can hit pause and you can just kind of think about some of those questions. If you are in a place where you are with other people, you can always take a moment and have a conversation with the people around you about this story and what is it that you heard, what resonates, and what strikes with you. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, and if you have questions about this story or you just want someone else to hear your thoughts about it, you can email us. And we will not give you answers, but we will share in your ponderings and offer our own. But for me, this is what I hear in this story. You will not know this famine. You will not know this famine. I hear divine irony. The very one who has been wronged is the very one to provide. The very person that has been wronged is the very one to provide. You will not know this famine. I think about the many times that we may have not exactly done what we were supposed to do. And I think about the many times when God asked us to do something and we didn't do it. You will not know this famine because no matter what we have done, no matter the drama, no matter the dream, no matter the day, God continues to provide forgiveness. God continues to provide grace and patience and love and hope and compassion. The one who may feel wronged is the one who also provides. There are so many times that we have given forgiveness and that we have, there are so many times when we have received forgiveness. You will not know the effects of this famine. The day that my brother flushed Miss Piggy down the toilet was the very same day we were going to my grandparents' house. They lived on this huge garden. And it was fun for us because no matter what we wanted, we would plant it, it would grow, and we would eat it. And it was fantastic. And weeks before, maybe a month before, I don't really remember, weeks before, my brother had planted this one little watermelon seed and he couldn't wait to see it grow. And we got a phone call saying that the watermelon was ready to be picked. And so that day, I grabbed my doll, we got in the car and we went to my grandparents' house. And I couldn't wait. As soon as we got there, I ran out of the car and I ran down into the field. And of course, I wanted to find my grandfather because I knew I was his favorite. 
He was going to take my side when he heard about my horrible story of the day. I ran into the field to look for him, and he didn't see me, but I saw him. And I saw him just as he had put down a whole watermelon. And I watched how he put the vines around it, and how he even kind of dug a little divot in the dirt and poured some dirt, threw some dirt on the watermelon. He didn't see me until I bent down and took the grocery store sticker off the watermelon. It was right about that time when I saw my brother running out of the car, running down the field. As soon as I saw him, I wanted to tell him every story, every detail. I wanted him to know famine. I wanted him to know that his seed didn't do anything. I wanted him to feel just as bad as Miss Piggy looked, and that was terrible. <laughs> but as soon as I saw him, put down my doll, I threw up my arms and I said, here it is, here's this watermelon. My grandfather gave me a wink and all of a sudden the three of us are picking up the watermelon and we went to the kitchen and we had a feast. That day, even though my brother didn't recognize it, I knew I was in a place of power. I knew I was in a place to let him know famine or to let him know plenty. I knew that I had a choice to make. There are so many stories of people forgiving. Wives forgive, husbands forgive, brothers forgive, sisters forgive, friends forgive. There are many stories of forgiving. And if you think long enough, you probably can think of something that you have done to hurt someone. And if you think enough, you probably can think of a time when you've been hurt. And while there are consequences to those actions, there's also something more there. You will not know famine. During these last months, people feel like they're in famine. And I wonder what it would be like if we instead talked about a new story, a new trauma, new details of forgiveness. I think that we have so many years of goodness and so many years of normal that we have been storing up so many blessings and storing up so many provisions that maybe now we're in a place of power, of control, to intentionally start to give those blessings out and to start to offer a new type of forgiveness. I wonder what it would look like if we all became very, very intentional. We need community now more than ever. We need our family, we need our friends. What would it look like if we began to share all those things that we've had in plenty and begin to give out forgiveness and blessing? You will not know this famine. So I invite you to 
Pick somebody. Pick somebody. And help him pick up a watermelon and go have a feast. Amen. Let us pray together. Gracious and holy Lord, you are a God of love and a God of unity. So now I ask that you be a part of our lives through this time and show us someone, show us people that we need to reach out to. Show us that person that we need to forgive or show us that person that we need to receive forgiveness from. And help us, Lord, live as those who have so much. And help us live as those who know the effects of no famine of your love. May we live as people who know there is always more to show and to give and to share. I thank you and ask that you pour out your blessings on every person listening to this message, no matter the day and time it is who is hearing it. And may you speak to them in those moments, in these moments. And may they know their forgiveness and the love that you're offering to them now. And may we respond with gracious and open arms, ready to pass that on. Amen. And now go live in unity, live in mercy, and live in love. Go in peace. Amen.